0: This evening as we come together on this occasion at this place, we can certainly be thankful for the myriad of things that were mentioned of a temporal nature in our prayer, the health that's ours and the opportunity that this occasion affords, and also as we appreciate, of course, the bounty of blessings the celebration of Thanksgiving, that it was to just a few days ago, and perhaps some of us still continuing with that with our families, and, and what an uh, interesting opportunity that affords each of us to think about God's blessings and what it is that surrounds us so, so very often. Tonight, as we give some thought to perhaps an interesting passage in Second Timothy 2, I'll direct your attention to what was read earlier as we give some somewhat concentrated consideration to what's found in that passage. But as we build up to that point, perhaps the honor and glory of what God shares to us to lead us to that study, in Psalm 18, verse 28, reminding us that it is God who lights our candle. It is He who shows forth the light from darkness into the bounty of light. And certainly, as we appreciate truly what a poetic expression that is, it is God indeed who lights our candles individually and as this congregation at the Pippin Church of Christ. To give some interesting feeling to the books of 1st and 2nd Timothy and Titus, those three books form a very unique position in the New Testament. Certainly all of those 27 books have their especial uniqueness and power associated with them, for they were inspired of the Holy Spirit. But truly it could be said that for that individual who would desire to be a preacher, perhaps in particular or that person who would have a desire to see the practical aspects of the church, what could be said about the eldership, the deacons, the preacher and all of their works and what should take place. Furthermore, the practical nature of what it means for each of them as well as all of us as Christians to live in a godly fashion. It would be difficult to find any more practical teaching than what occurs for us in the books of First and Second Timothy and Titus. I've listed just a few of the things that we've just listed there near the bottom of that. It is in regard to a passage in those books that I wish us to consider this evening. And somewhat interestingly, it occurs in a basic way not once, not twice, not thrice, but four times it is to be found in what the inspired Apostle Paul delivered to these young sons in the faith of his, Timothy on the one hand and Titus on the other. To give some particular feeling for those passages, I have recorded them for us for our consideration. So we can, in fact, look at them and read them in particular, and then perhaps revisit and make some comments for the remainder of the lesson so that we can more carefully see what it is that Paul had in mind for these young sons in the faith of his. In the book of 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy 4, verse number 7, in writing to Timothy, Paul had this to say. He said, but refuse profane and old wives' fables, and exercise thyself rather unto godliness. Same book, 1 Timothy 6, verse number 20, in fact, very near the close of that book. On that occasion, again to Timothy, Paul wrote these words, O Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust, avoiding profane and vain babblings and oppositions of science falsely so called. 2 Timothy Chapter 2, verse 16, the text read earlier this evening, But shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness. Finally, Titus 1, verse 14, Not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men that turn from the truth. In each of these instances, we can certainly see some similarity not the least of which was the fact that each was, of course, inspired by the Holy Spirit. But we can see each of these young preachers given a respective warning about certain things that were to not hold a place in their preaching, certain things that were to have no part to play in the direction expressed with respect to the church, certain matters that were to, in fact, be avoided and shunned in regard to how one should base his doctrine, his preaching, and his teaching. Furthermore, by consideration, also what should be avoided as any church, be it the preacher, be it the elders or otherwise, things that really have no role to play in the discerning of what the doctrine ought to be and how one should devote one's attention, how one should devote one's time and consideration. It is in matters like that 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 leads us to the very bottom statement on that slide. Isn't it fair to say that given the fourfold presentation of these ideas, it is entirely easy to appreciate that the Holy Spirit desired Paul to instruct these preachers. Timothy, it would seem, was rather young at this point. Titus, perhaps a little older, but still, not nearly the wisdom of the Apostle Paul. Both were admonished, certain things are to be greatly avoided, shunned, if you will, in terms of determining what should be preached, the doctrine to be discussed, the character of how decisions in the church are to be made. Let's revisit and look more carefully at some of these things that are to be avoided, some of these matters to be very clearly shunned. The next slide will point us more carefully in that direction. I would ask that we look specifically at the Second 2 Timothy 2.16 text. For in the course of studying that one, we will have occasion to look somewhat carefully at even the other ones. I have listed it at the top in the way the American Standard reads it. For especially the latter part of that verse, according to the measure of the Greek text, it's a little bit better rendered by the American Standard. And it reads as follows, But shun profane babblings, for they will proceed further in ungodliness." With that thought in mind, look with me at the words and what it is that is being expressly stated and what application you and I can make to ourselves. First of all, the word shun. Literally, the word means as follows to stand around. What's more, the following idea is in fact the correct one as it relates to the manner in which it's utilized here to turn oneself about for the purpose of avoiding. The image before us is a somewhat graphic one. We've each perhaps been in circumstances in which there is something of danger perhaps nearby in front of us. Something that not only captures one's attention, but furthermore it's appreciated to be dangerous or at least worthy of avoiding. So you and I might walk off the sidewalk to walk around it. We evade it by the means available to us. That's the meaning behind this word in Greek that's used here. To shun means to turn oneself to the point of avoiding it. To, if you will, circumspectly walk about it. If you think about it from that perspective, then the last idea there to avoid certainly seems to make a great deal of sense. And in fact, some of the lexicons even define it specifically in that way. But notice next that word profane as it appears. Profane It literally means open and accessible to all. It has reference to that which is opposite to that which is sacred. In other words, that which is godless, that which is worldly. We hear then the inspired apostle saying, you avoid that which is godless. You avoid this profane thing that is the opposite of that which in fact is sacred. What's more we can notice that very last word, babblings. That word, as you and I imagine it, means as follows. Empty talk, chatter, foolish discussion of vain and useless matters. To chatter, to to divert the interest and the energy and the time to the discussion of these foolish and useless things. And might we certainly not forget, Paul said to Timothy, You avoid these things. That helps us also see that that which Timothy was to devote his attention to preaching, that which was to fill the pulpit, that which was to encompass the mind of preparation and how one should consider the movement and the very foundation of that which was the church, it's not to be based on these useless matters, this foolish talk. Timothy, you avoid these things. As you can see near the bottom, And it is somewhat useful to note, interestingly, the context. Verse 16 of 2 Timothy 2, of course, comes two verses after verse 14. And note with me again what is said in verse 14. Of these things, Paul wrote to Timothy, put them in remembrance, charging them before the Lord that they strive not about words to no profit, but to the subverting of the hearers. Directly in context, we find the warning given by Paul to Timothy. Notice again verse 14, You put them in remembrance. Put them in remembrance of what, Paul? Charging them before the Lord that they strive not about words to no profit. It was the case in the first century, and as we shall see shortly, it is still certainly possible to give one's attention and concentration and effort to words that have no profit to them. They are not beneficial in the final analysis and in the ultimate matter. Timothy, you constantly warn and remind and charge them not to devote that to these words that have no profit. And might we note as verse 14 closes the incredibly sad statement, these words that in fact have no profit to them, what do they accomplish? The subverting of the hearers. That particular statement, I have helped us define near the bottom by noting exactly what that word subvert means. To speak about the subverting of the hearers, you'll notice, speaks about the ruin and the destruction of those who hear. We can now see one incredibly dangerous matter with regard to these profane babblings. Not only do they not produce profit, that which is beneficial, and that which actually upbills the congregation... Or the individuals, of course, in a natural way. It really produces their ruin. It seeks their destruction. Certainly, one could give some interesting thought. As a person enters the doors of a church building and desires to meet with the saints and to be, in fact, lifted more closely to the nature of God's holiness, and yet by what they hear and by what falls upon their ears, they really are led to ruin, they are led to destruction. One can only remark in amazing character of how vain such a worship like that or such a presentation of a sermon at least must be. Oh, how worthily Paul's words were then to Timothy. Timothy, you warned them, you remind them. Don't be busily producing and seeking words of no profit. Verse 14, as one strove about them, all that would produce is the subversion of the hearers. It is in regard to that matter that you and I perhaps are ready to look to what will be the next portion of our lesson this evening as we think then about shunning profane and vain babblings. As you can see from them, perhaps some applications are now in order. Having looked at the words and what they have meant and how Timothy would have heard them, let's see if we can apply them today to you and to me and to the Pippin Church of Christ. And what should be our hope would be any other faithful congregation of the Lord's people. It goes without saying that one of the first characteristics with regard to any individual or of a congregation at large that is sliding down the slippery slope that shall lead to unfaithfulness is an undue consideration and an undue striving after, after these profane and vain babblings, words that have no profit, because after all, their interest has now been placed elsewhere. They have chosen to give their attention and their thinking to these other matters, things which the Scriptures do not endorse, things which the Scriptures, in fact, do not set before as commandments or things that should be preached and taught, but rather these other matters. And Paul warned Timothy, do not, do not strive after these things, and in fact, you avoid them. I would ask you to note with me some of the specifics that Paul stated here and see if we can't perhaps hear some similarities in what you and I may well know about even today. First of all, in that Titus one fourteen text, one that we read earlier, on that occasion again the text said, not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men which turn from the truth. Let's give some thought to those Jewish fables that Paul here referenced. As he carefully and rather directly told Titus, do not give heed to these Jewish fables, using them as a basis for your presentations, your sermons, the way that you live, the manner by which you instruct and lead others. Do not give heed to these Jewish fables. You and I today might have somewhat a difficult time imagining the thrust of a statement like that, for you and I maybe are not under the temptation to follow Jewish fables. None of us here are Jews, and we've never been Jews. But think about those of the first century. As Paul wrote that to Titus, who himself was working in a rather noted area, and in not many years prior to that, it had been a seed of Jewish activity. For after all, much of that part of the world had at least been familiar with Judaism. Think about what kinds of traditions they might have remembered. Well, my grandpa participated in this ceremony. My family, for all the decades I can remember, were thoroughly acquainted with these Jewish ceremonies, Jewish teachings and Jewish ideologies, and this is the way we worshiped. This is the manner in which, at certain times each month, we did things. As you can see, for them, Jewish fables might have been a rather prominent part of their memory. And they might have been sorely tempted to revert to those activities and maybe to place them in high consideration amongst even their worship in the church. Paul said to Titus, give no heed to these Jewish fables. They have no part to play in the the persecution of what God would have us to do in this era and in this time. And in that way, Titus was told again to have nothing to do with them. But not only that. Notice what next occurs. We also find in this same set of discussions, again notice with me that text of Titus 1.14, not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men. And might we pause to notice what is accomplished by these Jewish fables and what is accomplished by these commandments of men. The Holy Spirit through Paul said they turn from the truth. That alone ought to be enough to throw for you and me red flags concerning these things. For any matter, any doctrine issue that turns from the truth must be a very devilish and satanic thing. It must be the very working of Satan to turn one in his direction from that which is the truth. Might we pause to ask the commandments of men? It has ever been, hasn't it? a temptation on the part of men to try and speak where God has not spoken, to try and legislate for Him, to enact various and sundry practices and laws and ordinances and judgments. That has often, hasn't it, been the desire and the temptation of men. In fact, not only was that true in the era of the first century, it's also certainly true in what you and I can appreciate even today. The church as perhaps it always has, is again suffering some rather tumultuous times. There are things spoken in Bible studies and pulpits within this county, within Jackson County, and in fact very nearby in many places that simply is not gospel truth. It isn't. And as you and I consider, what is being spoken? Is it, is it the traditions of men? If so, what's different between that and a Jewish fable? Under the days of the first century, Jewish fables were those matters that earlier dispensations were based on. It's what had been stated by virtue of memory. It's what they could have recollected from former days when the Jewish system was not only practiced, but was in vogue. What's different today about those who then set before others the traditions of men? Let it be resoundingly asserted that my tradition is useless. And so too is yours in terms of anything that would draw a person closer to God. The truth is not based on human tradition. It isn't now, nor in fact it never was. It is to be noted then that this young preacher, Titus, was told from what is stated in the pulpit and the manner in which you teach and instruct and lead and guide, it should never be based upon tradition as that which leads others to see, nor should it be based on these commandments of men relative to those matters. It still ought to be that way today. Human traditions, as we've noted in our study of the Restoration Movement back about three to four centuries ago, it is that which often ultimately made its way into the creed books of what you and I would call the various denominations. And individuals came to cling to that as tenaciously as any statement of Scripture In fact, in many instances, it usurped the statements of Scripture. It was more fashionable to cling to the traditions of men than it was to cling to the statements of God. It's just as wrong now as it was then. You and I must appreciate, as Paul gave order to Titus, as well as to Timothy, these profane babblings you must avoid, shun them, In fact, evade them to the point where you help others see the need to evade them as well. As you think about those matters with me, notice yet a third one. We find mentioned in that text before us this evening, 1 Timothy 4, 7. On that occasion, he said, but refuse profane and old wives' fables. Could we perhaps pause and give some consideration to old wives' fables? You and I are in a position of seeing whatever could be wrought by such. It certainly goes without saying. The pulpit shouldn't be filled with bare tales and cute illustrations. You and I should appreciate the pulpit and the opportunities to study the scriptures in a public assembly. ought to be filled with the gospel, nothing more and nothing less. Old wives' fables, stories and cute illustrations... Though there isn't anything wrong with having an appropriate illustration, if that's all the sermon is, if that's all that is the basis for the Bible study, then the foundation is not only shaky, it's devoid of any power. We should appreciate the fact that Timothy was given these words. Notice he was told to shun profane and vain babblings. He was told to shun these matters of old wives' fables. Titus was told to have nothing to do with these things like commandments of men. What was Timothy told? Preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. Why, Paul? For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine but they shall turn their ears away from that and be turned into fables. 2 Timothy 4, verses 2 through 4. As we appreciate then the ever-present need to not base our relationship to God upon fables, stories, and other matters devoid of power, it should ever be based upon a thus saith the Lord, an understanding that that is where the power is, and that is how God wished it to be proclaimed. As we ponder and think about issues like that one, that leads me to that very last statement at the bottom. And as we reflect upon what maybe we have read in various and sundry periodicals, or perhaps what we have known to be true from our own personal experience in visiting places, in speaking with people, it is a tragedy to consider the pulpit based not so much on the Word of God as on one's personal life, one's family history, one's favorite recreational pastime, one's article that one may have read in the Wall Street Journal, what may have been the appropriate subject of study in college, though common conversation concerning those matters is ever appropriate perhaps, those things as the basis for what should be an opportune time to study the Word of God is a shame. And as we give consideration, isn't that what Paul told Titus? And isn't it what he told Timothy? Paul's language is very straightforward, isn't it? It's no wonder we should in fact demand that that's what the pulpit and the sermon time and Bible study times ought to be. The elders would be well within their right if an individual rose to preach and minutes and minutes passed with no relationship to the Word of God, they would be well within their right to stop that sermon and to substitute a man who could preach the gospel, and to do so unashamedly and unapologetically. For when we come together, these are the words that have the life within them. Jesus said, the words that I say unto thee, they are spirit and they are life. John 6 verse 63. Furthermore, if we revisit briefly that statement again of what Paul told Timothy, perhaps we might well begin in 2 Timothy 3 verse 15. For on that occasion, reaching even back to what Paul knew about Timothy, he wrote this, From a babe thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation. All scripture is given by inspiration of God, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God might be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works." I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned into fables. But watch thou in all things. Do the work of an evangelist. Make full proof of thy ministry. Endure affliction. For the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I've kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of life, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all of them also that love is appearing. Concluding at verse 8 of chapter 4. As that extensive presentation was set before us, Did you hear within it the earnestness of Paul's plea, the power of his might, in which he admonished this young son in the the faith from as near as we can tell? That book of 2 Timothy was the last book that Paul ever wrote. It would seem that his head was stricken from his body by that evil ruler, or at least one of those serving beneath him, Nero, in about the year 67 to 68 A.D., We don't know how many years following that Timothy had the privilege of preaching the unsearchable riches of Christ. We don't know how many more years, but how often, I wonder, did he remember the admonition to preach, to be instant in season, out of season, to give no heed to old wives, fables, commandments of men, and these other things that Paul addressed to him. Oh, today, if only we could still hear the power rung within the sacred scriptures and to use it as the basis for our teaching rather than, more often than not, what can be the feelings of men. It is in regard to thoughts like that. We can perhaps revisit that verse that is right between the two verses we've noted earlier. You probably noted that we looked at verse 16 as the lesson text in 2 Timothy 2. We did read the verse that fell two verses earlier in verse 14. I wonder, what is it in context that fits between them? If Timothy was admonished in verse 14 to strive not about words to no profit, which in fact subvert the hearers, and if in verse 16 he was told to shun profane and unwise no fables, I wonder what he was told in the verse between them. What does verse 15 have to say? It's probably the most well-known verse in the book of Second Timothy. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth." directly opposite to the warnings of things to avoid. In that verse that was nestled between them, Timothy was told, you in fact do the following. You give great diligence, for that's the meaning of the Greek word that's translated study. Give diligence to present yourself approved unto God. Clearly one doesn't do that apparently by giving heed to Jewish fables, to old wives' tales, to these commandments of men. How does one do it? You handle aright, the word of truth. That word of truth, of course, is the wonderful word of God. There is no substitute for it. These other things we've discussed tonight, they might be cute and funny jokes that have their place in life, but the pulpit shouldn't be based upon them. For here we find that to Timothy, Paul said, give diligence to show yourself approved unto God. I've given us some other things for our consideration Sometimes one can consider lessons or Bible studies that are presented, the express purpose of which seems to be to play on the heartstrings and to bring a load of guilt upon those who are present. Friend, really, we don't have to do any more than use the Word of God by itself to do that. The proclamation of sin, the characteristic of human failure, what the Son of God did for us ought to be enough to inflict any rational person with the understanding of what's involved in becoming closer to God, is we can consider matters much like that. Notice, furthermore, I've asked us to consider this. Should the pulpit thus be a mechanism for dispensing the community's business? Should the church gathering or assembly be the time to air the dirty laundry that's going on in the community? Should the opportunity of the gathering of the church be seen as an appropriate and right time to, in fact, bring about the latest soap operas matters as it's taking place in the community. Certainly we are saying that error needs to be charged. But first of all, Jesus, did he not say in Matthew 18, that must be done personally? You approach that person first with a tear in your eye and a lump in your throat and bring before that person the fact you are in error, and here's book, chapter, and verse to substantiate it. And with that done, then you take a witness or two, Matthew 18 tells us. Only then is that matter brought before the church. Only then is that kind of a matter aired, if you please, before the larger of the assemblies. As we appreciate the matter of church discipline in that regard, we can see then how carefully the pulpit and the opportunities of assembly are not based upon these worldly affairs or these worldly matters to that degree, when it comes to the point of withdrawing fellowship, as we're commanded to do in those passages such as Second Thessalonians 3.6, those, of course, have a basis of background to them. The proper things have been done in the proper order, and then and only then, with the full authority of Scripture, can fellowship be withdrawn in the right fashion. How thankful we can be that the groundwork was laid by what the Lord said. It isn't left for you and me to guess what should be done. And so it is, as one then considers, what is a preacher and what is he not? There are many things a preacher is not. One thing, of course, that he is, is that man merely privileged to proclaim the unsearchable riches of truth. He is not a policeman. He is certainly not a powder puff. He's certainly not an individual who, in fact, lacks the character of what ought to be the place of any preacher. For wasn't Timothy also told in 2 Timothy 1.7, You've not been given the spirit of fear. Rather, you've been given the spirit of a sound mind, of power, and of love. And when the Scriptures are preached in truth and in love, all of us will be benefited. For we will not only grow closer to God, we will, of course, grow closer to each other. Because those scriptures have that as the matter which they inevitably bring about. For isn't it still true that faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God? Romans 10 verse 17. Matters like that perhaps bring us near the bottom of that screen. Perhaps one or two other thoughts and then the lesson this evening will have drawn to its conclusion. Among those remaining thoughts perhaps would be this one. When you consider what happens... When time of assembly does come to be based on commandments of men and old wives' fables and these other matters that we have noted tonight that Paul said to be shunned, when it comes to the point that a church is basing its interest, the things it does, the matter of what they demand to be preached upon things like that, they have slipped far, far from what they ought to be. Their interest is not grounded in the unsearchable riches, but rather it's grounded in those rudimentary things of the world, Colossians 2, verses 7 and 8. It is in instances like that that we can see that problems are now going to begin to snowball. For when one reaches that position, and you have a number of individuals present, and each comes to want his way or her way, One wants this tradition proclaimed, another wants that one. One wants his history, another wants his fable or story. No wonder it'll soon degenerate into chaos, and it'll degenerate to where the Word of God seems to occupy a lesser and lesser role in what that church believes and what it seeks to base things upon. If you give up a thus saith the Lord in one thing, it's not hard to soon give it up in something else and then in something else and then in something else. It is thus no wonder that Paul admonished Timothy and Titus as well. And might we not forget that these preachers labored in different places. Titus labored on the island of Crete. Timothy labored in the city of Ephesus. And in those two distinct places, yet Paul's message was the same. You preach Christ, and Him crucified, and the gospel that He delivered. Anything other than that, these words that strive to no profit... These things that subvert the hearers only will lead to their destruction and their ruin. And certainly nobody should want to stand before God in judgment with the words of James 3 verse 1 and a thing like that over his head. My brethren, be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater damnation. To that person who has taught error and who has encouraged in the lives of others and who has used opportunities that could have been used to dispense the beautiful truth of God but has used it to teach illustrations and stories only. Things bereft of the power of the gospel, that man will have to give an answer for what he chose to do and for how he, in fact, used that opportunity to preach the truth. It certainly could be our case this evening to then wonder how much of the tension, the disagreement, the church divisions and splits, and how much of the quarreling throughout the centuries would have been avoided completely. If only there had been more attention paid to passages like 2 Timothy 2.16, shun profane and vain babblings. If only that had happened more often, I have no doubt, but what there would have been a far greater sense of peacefulness and a far greater sense of urgency in the matters of the greatest importance, namely the proclamation of truth and the salvation of souls and the business of the work of the church as God delivered it. Those things bring us to the conclusion of the lesson this evening. And could we not perhaps close it with a very brief summary of the main points of tonight's lesson? We noticed the emphasis that Paul laid upon the truth. For notice, he warned against those who turn away from it, because the truth is what's the most important. And furthermore, did we not also observe that those in those congregations were to expect of both Titus and Timothy the statement of that truth 1 Timothy 4.16, 1 Timothy 4.12, 2 Timothy 1, verse 12, 2 Timothy 4, verses 1 through 8, all highlight the truth. And they did so in such a way that it was unmistakable. Furthermore, we saw in those matters how that you and I as individual Christians, we, are, we see in these books the importance of displaying to the world our consideration for truth and our disinterest in pursuing anything in the way of faithfulness based upon old wives' fables, these commandments of men, and these profane and vain babblings. And then finally, we noted that when those things happen, did you notice in that text of 2 Timothy 4, the strength of that congregation that would result? For as Paul described it there near the close of his own life, he did state about a man, namely himself, who, was rest, who could rest assured even as death approached of the place where he had placed his trust and the greatness of God's benefit to him for that faithfulness that he had lived. This evening, what about each of us? Have we given heed to profane and vain babblings? Certainly as we strive to consider, our elders here take great effort and pain to make sure that those things do not creep into our livelihood in any way. But may we as individual Christians be aware, the brotherhood does face problems. Oh, how it faces problems. And as those problems are faced, may we understand they can begin to creep in various and sundry places, not the least of which would be an attempt to move in even to our own brotherhood here at Pippin. May we ever keep both eyes open to these things that are not based on the truth and to not allow them to corrupt our life or the larger congregation here. This evening, have you been washed in the blood of the Lamb? Have you based your life upon a thus saith the Lord? Do you live faithfully with the Master at your side day by day? If you have never named the sweet name of Jesus as your Savior, what better time could there be than tonight? Jesus stated in John 8, 21 to 24, that you must believe in Him. Paul reiterated that, did he not, in Romans 10? And Jesus stated the same in Mark 16, He that believeth and is baptized, shall be saved. Following your belief with a heart filled with sorrow, desire then to allow that lead you fully to repent of those things you've done, those sins in your life that are an affront to God, transgressing His will. Then confess His name as the Son of God, that is the Christ. As you do that, you then soon thereafter can be baptized, not as a show of the fact you're already saved, For that is worlds apart from the way the New Testament teaches baptism. You're baptized in order that your sins will be washed away. And it is in that process, Romans 6, Colossians 2, 1 Peter 3, that your sins indeed are washed away entirely. If tonight we could assist you in the accomplishment of that, we'd be happy to do it. If you, though, have become a Christian, but you no longer are faithful and you've come to realize that... Maybe from things you've read or studied in the Word of God, you've come to realize that's describing me and I am not faithful as I ought to be. We'd be honored to pray for your strength, for the forgiveness of what sins there may be in your life. And if tonight we could do either of those things, would you not let that be known while together we stand and while we sing?